Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today, we're talking about how to orient our lives onto a happy, healthy path, no matter what kind of circumstances we begin with. Our guest is Melanie Santiago of Denver, who shares how she encountered Buddhism at the young age of 13 when she was going through a tumultuous time, and how learning to apply Buddhist philosophy to her life helped her shift her life state from one of suffering and victimhood to one of agency and happiness. I'll let Melanie share the rest. Uh, my name is Melanie Santiago, or Mel Santiago. I am 28 years old, and I'm calling from Denver, Colorado. I work as a marketing slash communication specialist. I have two jobs. I, I co-own a, a marketing agency, which is pretty rad. And then I also uh, work remotely for state government as a communication specialist. So that's cool. Um. Cool. So, okay, we are going to get into a whole bunch of deep stuff today, I know. And I'm super excited for this conversation and grateful that you're you're willing to share your story. But let's start at the beginning. Um, so I always like to ask people basically how they started practicing Buddhism, how they encountered it, why they started chanting. And I know in your case, it's kind of like a wild story and you were super young. So I'm extra curious. So yeah, yeah. how old are you when you encountered Buddhism? And why did you start chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo? Oh my gosh, I was so lucky. So I am so lucky. Um, yeah, so I was 13 years old when one of my best friends um, who had just started practicing Buddhism, um, she reached out to me because I was really suffering at that time in my life. I uh, was just really struggling with depression and um, things going on at my house and feeling really hopeless. And I always say I'm so impressed by her compassion and her courage in sharing the practice with me so young. Um, but yeah, she basically was just like, hey, I do this thing. Do you want to do it too? I think that it would really help you. And I remember feeling... Um, so hopeless at the time that I was pretty much like, yeah, dude, anything you got for me, I'll try it. <laughs> like, I'm down. Let's do it. Um, and I was very fortunate. I fell in love pretty much immediately. So. Wow. Oh, my gosh. 13. Yeah. So you, were you in like eighth grade? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I like can't imagine being mature enough at that age to be able to begin any kind of practice and stick with it. I know that like the theme yeah. that we're going to sort of unpack today has a lot to do with things that you first experienced when you were younger. So as yeah. much as you're comfortable sharing kind of when you say stuff was going on and you were struggling such that you wanted to try chanting, what was going on? Yeah, perfect. Um, okay. So I grew up in Mississippi. My mom was a single mom my whole life. I didn't grow up with a father figure. Um, she kind of saw people on and off, but as far as like a constant presence, um, it was just my mom and my older sister. And <clears throat> excuse me, in my house growing up, um, 
we just, we suffered a lot of abuse. Like my older sister and I um, really struggled to cope with a lot of what was going on with my mom. She was um, struggling with alcoholism. Um, it was really tough. And my older sister, she's 10 years older than I am. So I was pretty young um, when she moved out. And um, I think as I got a little older, I started to see more of like the, the, the impact of her own traumas, like coming out from within her. And um, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel respected. I didn't feel like I mattered. I didn't feel seen. Um, mm. You know, it was just miserable. And I remember that I remember the resounding feeling like in my life, if I could summarize like just how I was at that time in my life, it was like, I was just mad. Like I was just an angry, mad kid. And I remember that I was really struggling with depression before I knew that that's what it was. Hmm. Um, and, you know, like childhood trauma, just growing up in like, you know, a house with alcoholism and all of these things. And I actually, um, like I, when I was 13, it was a very pivotal time in my life because I actually tried to take my own life. And I remember sharing with my friends, like how miserable I was. And not that they didn't even need to be told because they witnessed it firsthand, but, um, but one of my best friends, I had, I've known her since kindergarten. We're still friends. Um, she, she was the one who was just like, I, I just, I remember it so clearly that she said, I can see that you're suffering so hard. Like a 13 year old mm. saying, like, I can see that you're suffering so hard. And I think that this would really help you. And it was just like her reaching out from a place of such compassion was so compelling to me. You know, mm. I remember thinking like, like, oh, okay. Like that came out of left field, but also like if she feels so strongly about this, like I'm interested to see what she's talking about, if that makes sense. So. Mm. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. I know it's very personal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm just like imagining, um, yeah, that conversation like between two 13 year olds, it's like, it gives me the chills just to imagine it. You know what I mean? Um, so, so then what did it look like to start? I mean, did you just like go to Buddhist meetings? Did you start chanting right away? Do you remember like how you felt when you started chanting? Yeah. So like I said, I was very, I was very lucky. I fell in love immediately, right? Like I went to a Buddhist meeting. Um, I don't remember if it was like what kind of meeting it was, but we did, a we studied a little bit and we, um, they kind of, showed me the, like, talked to me about the basics of Buddhism. Um, I remember that I chanted, like, day one. I was like, oh, this is cool. What's this? What's going on? And my friend um, had talked to me a little bit about Buddhism, but not a ton. And so I didn't really go in knowing all that much. But I just remember, I remember this feeling of, like, warmth and community, right? Because we were like, at someone's house and we're all just like sharing experiences and 
connecting very like one-on-one and genuinely and I you know I like growing up at my mom's house like I didn't have that kind of a connection to anyone and I definitely was not expecting anyone to give me the time of day for like a like I think just being able to be in a room with people who are genuinely like oh wow what brought you here like what are your what are your goals what are you looking forward to how do you want to transform your life you know these kinds of things I was just like oh my gosh these people like want to help me become happy like (laughs) I I don't know if I could do that and so I, I just remember I really consistently attended meetings very um, quickly. And like, I remember that I went to my first meeting in August and then like I received Michael Hanson in December of 2007. So like, oh my gosh. yeah. So yeah. Wild, huh? And like, did anything change right away when you started chanting or like what, what kind of made you Mm. want to continue? So I remember being really drawn to the idea that I don't have to look outside of myself to make a positive transformation in myself, right? Because like I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Mississippi and it's like the middle of like, it's the Bible Belt. And so I didn't grow up in a highly religious household, but um, I did just like experience the impacts of that culture around me. So like I was aware of other ideologies, but I didn't practice that. Um, And it never really sat right with me to look outside of myself. And I also remember thinking like, I think when you come from this tragic set of circumstances, (laughs) it's really easy to be like, Like, oh, this is because I, I, like, I must have, I'm just like so unlucky. I drew the unlucky card and like, this is just how it's going to be. And my life is going to suck and I'm doomed to this forever. And I'm just at the mercy of something that is completely outside of myself. And so I remember feeling like, wow, this Buddhism is saying, no, like you can decide right now, like what causes you want to make in your life and how you're going to change, like, and it, like how you're going to change what's your trajectory almost right in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it was, it was really beautiful to me because it wasn't like Buddhism doesn't, um, disregard suffering, right? Like we say like suffering, like suffer what there is to suffer, enjoy what there is to enjoy. Like suffering is just a a thing that happens in life. Um, and you can accept that and make something positive out of like these experiences, or you can kind of like let yourself be defeated. Mm. And I feel like when I started chant or before I started chanting, I was defeated. Like I was like, my, my go-to inclination was like, give up. What's the point? Give up. Like, look, you're trying so hard. You're clawing, you're, you're fighting, you're screaming, you're like 
working so hard to get something out of life and it all sucks. And what's the point, right? And Buddhism was just like, no, like the <laughs> both things can be true, right? Like you can suffer deeply and also make something absolutely beautiful out of your life. So I think that I started to believe in myself a little more. Um, you know, I started to feel like this glimmer of hope that I hadn't had in a long time. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's so true that like, I really went from like, I just don't see the point in life in trying to like, okay, well, if I have everything inside of me that I need to really transform this, then like, let's do it. Like, what is, the, what is the alternative, right? It's just like to be sad, miserable forever. So, mm. yeah. Wow. What a profound, like, shift in perspective right off the bat, you know? Because what you're describing is like pretty much the core teaching of Buddhism. And yet it's so easy to start chanting. And like, it takes quite a while to really understand that with your life and like still be looking externally and still be yeah. wondering why me and not to say, you know, I'm sure it's like an up and down daily yeah. battle, you know, for anybody. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just so profound to like, be able to absorb that right off the bat, you know, especially at that age, because I also like when you become a teenager, things start to like settle in, you know, your mm -hmm. views start to like really solidify. So it's wild that you got to be exposed to that, I know. like just in time. Yeah. Um. So before I move into kind of today's theme and, and some of the bigger questions around family relationships. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, like were day to day, did you like see any shift at that age or like, was your school or home life different when you started chanting? And like, was it weird to chant in your own home? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just curious how that began. It wasn't, I think that like, so I had a weird upbringing and that like we weren't religious we didn't practice anything you know especially like being able to chant and being able to sit and be like no I'm gonna pull something out of me that like hmm. like clearly exists within me already like I just need a little bit of like help to get it out <laughs> several years later like by the time I was 16 or so I was I would no longer have called myself like the angry kid, which seems so little, I feel like. Like that seems like such a small, okay, big deal. But I was like so eaten up with this vitriol. Like I was hmm. blind with rage, like overriding emotion, just mad all the time. And, and like blaming everything outside of myself, you know, like just, mm hmm. Mm. And I think that by the time, like, I had been working on myself for so long, I was like, I just want to be the kindest, happiest person. Like, that was, like, legitimately my my so sweet, like, teenage chant chanting was, like, <laughs> I just want to be the kindest, happiest person. Um, and I think it just came out of a place of, like, I am hurting from, like, being so angry all the time, Right. And I, I, I slowly, gradually started to feel myself, like, just give way to kindness. Like, I was like, I'm going to treat people with the kindness that I want to receive. Like, I don't get these things at home, so I'm going to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And the universe is going to react and it's going to bring kindness to me. And that is what happened. You know, like ev- everyone, not to toot my own horn, but like most people I know would say like, oh, Melanie is just like so sweet, right? Like just such a kind person. And I think that I started to find joy in that identity of mm-hmm. like, like, yeah, I am a kind person and look at all the stuff I've overcome and I'm still not a jerk. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you say that that sounds small, but that's huge. I mean, that's like the thing you're describing what we call human revolution or inner transformation in in Buddhism, where you really change from the inside out and you can do so intentionally. So that's beautiful. Um, so, so let's move into like a little bit of the, the story, um, or I guess the theme that we want to address today, which again, I appreciate you sharing so vulnerably. Um, but it's about challenging family relationships. So like you, you know, explained a little bit of the background of how you grew up and that you were left, you know, with all of this anger and this resentment and negativity that ultimately you started to transform in yourself, but like on account Mm of having, you know, a, a challenging home situation and people, um, around you, you know, that weren't able to care for you in the way that you needed to be cared for. But I also know that that's like changed a lot yeah. using Buddhism. So I'm so curious because I'm sure there are people listening who whatever their version, you know, of the story is might have a parent or a sibling or a loved one that like it's just a very painful relationship. Um, so when like, where do we start? Like, did you start chanting about your relationship with your mom? Like what what kind of happened and and how did it change? Yeah, I started chanting very early on to not hate my mom. Like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not asking for like, like the sitcom relationship with my mom. Um, I just want to not hate her. Um, and then I remember that like, over time, it over not too long, I mean, just a few months, right? I'm like, okay, I don't want to hate her. Okay, I... I want just a neutral relationship. Okay, I think I I think I want a a good relationship. Okay, what does a good relationship look like? And I think that that all started because one of my Buddhist friends reminded me that I needed to really challenge myself to see the dignity of my mom's life. Like to really respect her life and chant for her happiness. And I remember being like, what? No, like, are you kidding? This is the advice you have for me. And I was like, you know, like 13 or 14. And I'm like, oh gosh, I thought this was just going to be like, I try to be a nicer person. And then like everything is hunky dory and awesome. And so I remember that, you know, that, that advice just saying like, you need to really chant for your mom's happiness was really what started changing the actions I was taking. Right. Because now I'm guiding my, my chanting and my actions towards like, how can I help establish like my mom's absolute happiness and not just focus on my own, Hmm. which was really, really hard (laughs) in the beginning. Um, But then I think it really liberated me because I started to see like, 
she's human, right? That's something I think we all go through as we get a little older is like realizing that our parents are like Mm. human, she's human. And with that comes a lot of very human experiences of her own that she has to decide to like process and all of these things, right? And I think that what really shifted in my mind was realizing that if I waited around for her to process her own stuff, I think I was convinced, you know, I'd be waiting around forever. And so instead, what I could do is I could decide, I could determine, I'm going to have a positive relationship with my mom. Like, I want that. That's what I want. It's not that I want to forgive her. It's not that I want her to feel absolved of everything that she's done. It's not that I feel like necessarily that's the right thing to do or whatever it is. It's just I absolutely want to to chant, to pray, like that I get a positive relationship with my mom. I want that in this lifetime, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think that that is when things just started to shift. Like I went to college and it, I, it felt so all of a sudden in the moment, but now I know like it was so gradual. It was like these little things happening. Like by the time I was in college, she was visiting me every other weekend Hmm. and she was like calling me and asking me how I was doing. And we were texting once in a while And those things seem so small, but it's something that like, if you, if you told 13 year old Melanie, like that's what she would be doing with her mom, she would laugh in your face. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no way. I mean, I would go days without hearing from my mom, you know, like I would just, Mm -hmm. or if I did, you know, it was always like, I wish that I didn't hear from her. So to go from that to like, now she's like, saying that she's proud of me for the first time ever, you know, I was like 18 years old, got Mm -hmm. a full ride to college, all this stuff. And she's like, Oh, I guess I can, you know, and I, I remember thinking like, Holy moly, like I have freaking shifted. Like I've moved mountains. This is crazy. And I think that even she noticed Hmm. in her like, very distant kind of way. I think it was really like my human revolution, right? Like I'm focusing so hard on practicing for myself, practicing for others, really putting my mom's happiness um, like next to mine, right? Like in priority almost. Like it's not that hers comes second to mine. It's that they're like right up next to each other. And I think that in, in recognizing the dignity of her life, I started to recognize the dignity of my own, right? Mm -hmm. Like I went from just not, not thinking my life was valuable or worth anything to like, Mm -hmm. look at the change I'm making. What, what will it look like in five, 10, 15, 20 years? Like if I just keep doing this. So, Mm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like you just touched on um, something that's so important to call out like that side by side happiness because obviously in Buddhism and we hear this all the time in the Buddhist community like we practice for oneself and for others and that can sound nice like okay we chant we have dreams and goals we 
build these wonderful lives for ourselves and then we also help other people do the same but like it's actually like way deeper than that in buddhism it's not like um altruism or something Mm -hmm. like that it's like a like you described if you're struggling to believe in your own humanity or your own bootability the fastest way to get there is to challenge yourself to believe in someone else's (laughs) so I just want to call that out because that's really incredible that like you were able to do that and that you were able to prioritize that despite I'm sure so many emotions around it and hurt that you had to resolve and and things like that I will say that I still experience benefits of chanting for her happiness because for the first time literally this past year my this past year has been ridiculously amazing for me um but (laughs) like over this past year i mean she has opened up to me and been vulnerable to me in ways that like i would never have even dreamed of including in my prayers like i was legitimately like I just want a positive relationship. I don't really know what that means. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be that we talk and text every single day. That's not really my style anyway. Um, but but I was like, I was like, I need to get away from this idea of like, this is the the thing that it has to be and just really like put my faith in my practice to bring like those prayers to fruition in whatever way makes sense for my life right and so i think that it's it just continues to evolve like it it went from just you know like visiting me every other weekend and saying she's proud of me and texting me to like now she's really really like confiding in me about deep like really really substantial things because i don't i don't have I didn't have deep conversations with my mom. We didn't talk about things like relationships or friendships or even school. I mean, it was just kind of like assumed. I was always a really good student. Mm -hmm. It was always just assumed like, okay, you're fine. You're taking care of your stuff. It's great. Like we just didn't interface like that. And so, Hmm. yeah, I, I just, I continued to see her like, really respond to my life, you know, where I'm like, mom, I love you. And it's really hard to love you sometimes. And it's still worth it. Cause like, look where we are. Right. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely did. I, I was just thinking from the perspective of someone who's new and is just trying to like put mm-hmm. themselves in, in your shoes or think about like how they can, embark on this kind of a journey and it sounds like yeah like just starting with what you describe like chanting to have a positive relationship and and allowing like the chanting to manifest what that looks like in the best possible way as opposed to like having some sort of a rigid definition or expecting someone else to change because that is an important part of buddhism right we we don't chant to change other people like chanting for someone's happiness doesn't mean that they're magically going to change right it means that we respond to them differently and Mm -hmm. accept them as they are which sometimes is the good stuff and often the bad stuff Mm -hmm. um so thank you so much for sharing that it's it's super helpful um so uh Let's move on to another relationship. So you you mentioned a little bit about this when we spoke on the phone. And um, I understand that this uh, 
past year, I guess, was like very significant for you in terms of your relationship with your father, who you met for the very first time. Um, and you yeah. mentioned that you didn't grow up with um, with him or a father figure around. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious how you approached that. And was that also something that you were chanting about? And what's what's that story? Are you ready for my drama? <laughs> yes, I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So I, I did grow up without a dad. Um, my mom, my whole life told me that her second husband, whom I never met, was my father. Um, and really all she told me about him was like that he was the worst and that I should never meet him and that she hated his guts. And that was like legitimately it. I knew his name and I saw like a wedding photo from 30 years ago, right? Um, but that was all that I knew about this man my mom called my father, right? Hmm. So I always kind of figured, well, so when I was little, I remember feeling a lot of resentment for my father because of everything that was going on with my mother, right? I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like what if he we're here. Like, I just hate him so much because he left me with my mom and like, just what a crappy thing to do. Right. Like just, yeah. So as I got a little older, like maybe college age, I, I felt like there would probably end up being some natural curiosity, especially because I had done so much growth at that point. You know, like I started the practice when I was 13, like by 19 or 20, I was like, oh, we're rocking and rolling. We're turning all of these challenges into opportunities. Like, let's do it. Right. So I, I remember just kind of like sitting down and reflecting and being like, I think that the natural kind of way of things is that one day I will have a curiosity that is big enough for me to kind of just want to go find my dad and have, I don't know, a 30 minute conversation with him. So I was like really chanting for the wisdom to just navigate this weirdness, right? And so I remember I just like threw myself into Buddhism. I was like, all right, I am just going to do everything. Like <laughs> I was like I'm going to like remind myself what the warmth of this community feels like. And so I feel like I really went to like back to the fundamentals of like my practice and saying like okay, what what do I really love about this Buddhism? And it's like the the community, you know, like the way that people lift you up the way that people remind you that like your life has value and purpose and that you absolutely can become happy. You know, all these things I feel like I needed to be reminded again because I, I had, I, I really genuinely feel like my relationship with my mom is like my first huge breakthrough with this practice. So anyway, I um, remember that my, my kind of next step on the search for my dad was I, took a DNA test. <laughs> and um, if you've never taken one, they they match you up with other people who share a little bit or a lot a bit of DNA with you, right? And so I was thinking mm -hmm. like, okay, 
this is objective. I'm going to be connected to somebody on my dad's side. Wonderful. And I remember I legitimately took the test and I got like 300 people on my mom's side and like two on my dad's side. And I was like, what is this? So, and I reached out to, they were brother and sister. I reached out to the sister. She was very kind. And I'm pretty sure that I like freaked her out. Cause I'm like, Hey, I'm looking for my dad. And she's like, who's your dad? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know his name. I don't know his face. I don't know anything. And she's like, leave me alone lady. Um, so anyway, I, I just continued to chant for like, I'm always chanting for wisdom, right? I'm like, I've got the compassion down. Like, I just want the wisdom. Like, what do I do next? And how do I keep going? Mm. And I, I remember I was just like, you know what? I like, maybe right now is not like, it's just not going to happen right now. And I'm just going to continue to chant and like really focus on, cause I had a million other things going on as we all do. Right. And I have like nephews who are really struggling through things and just like life is happening. And I'm like, okay, dad can take a back seat. I haven't known him for 28 years. So like, what's another few months going to do. Right. Um, and I just remember I was getting a lot of advice on how to navigate other family relationships. And I really lean, sorry, I'm having a revelation right now, like another just appreciation moment for my practice. Cause I remember I was struggling with something with my nephews and that was like the, that became like front and center in my life. And I was like chanting so furiously for that. And my nephew actually decided it's so beautiful. Jeehee. So my nephew wanted to take 23 and me because I took 23 and me. And mm -hmm. when he came here to connect with me, like when he came here, he wanted to connect on the app and I hadn't been on there in months. And I had a message from a cousin on my father's side. And she told me like, I, I just, I know who your dad is. I know who it is. Like, I just freaking, you look just like him. And I remember thinking, what? Like at that point I had been like, my prayers had completely shifted. So I had really put like this whole saga with my dad on the back burner. And I mean, it was like, bam, bam, bam. Like she, my cousin reached out, figured out, like got me my dad's name, told me I have siblings, told me where they live got him to come visit her, all these things. I was like, what is happening? And it was like, before I knew it, I was on a video chat with my dad for the first, like I'm seeing my dad's face for the first time in my life, July of last year. Like what the heck? I was <laughs> blown away and it was so awesome. Like, it was so beautiful. Like that first conversation, it's like, it's so weird. Like, I, I don't know him from a stranger, right? But after that, like, we were texting every day. You know, we're like talking on the phone for hours. Um, I was like, setting up a visit. Mind you, he lit... My best friend lives uh, 45 minutes away from him in a completely other state. It's like so 
hilarious coincidence. Um, But anyway, so I went to actually go, I had plans to go visit that friend like a couple of months later and I ended up being able to meet like my whole family. And I distinctly remember like, I'm freaking out, right? Like on the way to see my family, I'm chanting like, I don't know what this is going to be like, like this experience is good. Like, how do you prepare for this kind of an, how do you prepare for meeting your dad for the first time when you're almost 30 years old? And I was like, I just have to chant about it, right? Like, I just have to chant that it's like the most positive experience. And I remember going and it was the most positive experience. I mean, it was Hmm beautiful like they're all embracing me like I'm meeting aunts I have like a cousin named after me these people have like known about me for years and didn't know how to get in contact with me they're all just like so in love with me and so I felt this like feeling of belonging Hmm. you know this like beautiful feeling and I also remember like you know my dad said to me I'm just so grateful that you're giving me the chance to have a positive relationship with you. And I like, without skipping a beat was like, that is my Buddhist practice. Like Mm. I have trained for this. Like I did this with my mom already. I've already seen Mm. how different your outcomes can be when you determine like, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to have a positive relationship with this person. You know, mm. like, I'm not going to let my whatever it is, my ignorance, my anger, my whatever it is, like, I'm not going to let that hold me back. And so I just I just remember like that being really beautiful, because it it, it just shows like we talk about with this Buddhism, how our human revolution, like undergoing our human revolution. Sorry, I'm feeling gratitude. Um, (laughs) We just like, I don't know, you transform yourself like, and people see, you know, like Mm -hmm. people notice, my dad noticed, he legitimately was like, oh my gosh, you're just like, your life is so beautiful. Like I can just feel that you're a beautiful person. And I like, I have no doubts that that's, I mean, I've been practicing for 15 years. Like I have done tremendous transformation and Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I just, I, I'm like so proud of myself. and like so proud of my Buddhist community because it's like, God, what a, what an amazing experience that I I might have robbed myself of if I had just kept on like going the way that I was going, you know, without my practice. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm blown away. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it sounds like unreal and yet the realest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Incredible. And it's, it's so just like hearing you also share the story and that moment that you just described about your cousins and like just deciding that you were gonna like I mean your nephews sorry that take care of your nephews and like make that your focus 
It reminds me of this other super important Buddhist concept that we have definitely talked about on the podcast before, which is like, when you don't know what to do, you win at what's in front of you. Mm. Like that's the formula in Buddhism. And you, you throw yourself into what's exactly in front of you. And then you do your best at it and you chant about it. And it, it all adds up. Yes. And like the way that it added up is so yes. wild. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And oh, thank you. Um, I, um, you know, another interesting thing that like, just to call this out again, for people who are new is, um, I feel like when you don't practice Buddhism, or if you approach things in a secular way, it's like super easy to look at your life as like a bunch of compartments or mm -hmm. like a checklist of, I like these things they are working out. These things are not working out. I don't have that much agency end of story. You know what I mean? Mm. But like the way that you described it, it's like every experience sort of like braided together with every other experience to add up to you being able to say and having other people tell you that you have this incredible, be incredibly beautiful life, um, which I feel like is the end goal of Buddhism. Yeah. Like how many people can say that they're really proud of themselves and they've done all of the work and like, yeah, they love their life, you know? So yeah, just thank you so much for, for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. So, okay, you've definitely answered this, but just to sort of call it out specifically, based on these experiences, you know, meeting your dad and transforming your relationship with your mom, what would you say is the biggest change in yourself? Like when you think about your own bootability or like what it is that you have tapped into um, over, you know, these years, like what is it that you hold on to the most or that you feel like this is what I changed or like, this is what you too can call out of your life. I feel like this is going to sound so simple, but it's so important is that my life has value. Like that my life has purpose and that I have, I can make an impact because 13-year-old Melanie felt like her life was disposable. Hmm. And 28-year-old Melanie is like, wow, like what else are we going to do? Let's do it, right? Um, and so I really think it's just like, I, I now understand the magnitude and the power of my life when I am really tapped into my practice. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well said. I, I completely understand what you mean. And I, um, I'm curious if you have like, uh, obviously you've touched on this, but like in addition to chanting and engaging in the Buddhist community and having friends who can really like give you that advice at the right time or remind you to believe in yourself. Um, we also study. And so I'm, I'm wondering like what role that has played along the way. And if there were any kind of Buddhist quotes or concepts that helped you kind of, uh, you know, continue on this journey. Yeah. I've always been very partial to the concept of turning poison into medicine. Right. Mm. I, um, I feel like this practice, like it's like Buddhism is reason, right? And like nothing is wasted. It's like all training for something later. And so I I really feel like because I took this really awful circumstance and like made the just 
growing up with my mom in that environment and made something really beautiful out of it, that poison into medicine, I it made it that much easier when the time came for me to confront like these feelings of confusion and fear and also like inadequacy that came out of finally being able to meet my father. Um, hmm. You know, I was able to, to really open up and let that be a beautiful, positive experience. So yeah, turning poison into medicine has always been like, I think I, I say that like at least seven times a day to myself. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's some poison. We're going to turn it into medicine. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I really, really love that concept too. And I, yeah, I feel like what you just, what you described is exactly that journey. So why don't we then move to my closing question? Because just to bring all of this back home, you know, to someone who's listening, who might be new to Buddhism, or maybe they have been practicing for a while, but they have like unresolved or undiscovered relationships um, that they're chanting about. I'm curious, like, what if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's like in that situation with a parent, a loved one, tough relationship, lack of relationship, what advice would you give them? I think I would give them the advice that was given to me, right? Which was absolutely chant for their happiness. Make your mission for them to be the absolute happiest person and the human revolution you undergo just by challenging yourself to do that is going to open up your life in ways that you can't even predict. I want to leave you today with the following words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda, who says of difficult relationships and chanting, just be yourself. All you have to do is keep chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo and advance freely in a manner that is true to yourself. That is what the Buddhist principle of revealing one's intrinsic nature is all about. By practicing Nichiren Buddhism, we can bring our true self to shine. What's important is to continue making effort daily, chanting and praying for the happiness of others, doing your best to be kind and considerate to those around you, and polishing your own character. Jose Toda said, if you can't treasure those closest to you, you won't be able to treasure others. Compassion, he said, doesn't flow forth so easily. Surely the correct path and most dignified way to live is to advance just as we are as ordinary people, striving to improve ourselves even just by small increments based on chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. On that note, if you're new to chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo and you'd like to learn more, we have plenty of resources at bootability.org. And if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.